Well, good evening, you sexy little TikToky, YouTubey, podcasty bastards. Uh, tonight, I have pre-recorded the show because I really wanted to get this guest on uh, and work to his schedule. Uh, we cover a lot. We cover misinformation, anti-vaxxers, stem cell research, and whether anyone's ever presented the idea of a human centipede to a science ethics committee. And, oh yeah, whether, as a scientist, he agrees and accepts that civilization is about to come to a fucking end. It's all here, and it's 95% a perfect interview. There are a couple of bits where the Skype dropped out, though, uh, but 95% perfect. Uh, so please do bear with us as we take you on a magical scientific journey with Dr. Paul Cross. And sup, people! Welcome to episode 81 of A Thompson and Other Disappointments. Uh, quick shout out to the Patreons for their continued support, Kerry and Paul. You guys are bloody terrific. You are, as I said earlier in the week, just flawless, lovely people with bursting hearts. Uh, though we hope not in the literal sense, because cardiac episodes can actually be incredibly serious. Uh, now look, ep 81 episodes in. Uh, and you guys, I don't know what point you jumped into the podcast, uh, when you started listening, watching. Um, uh, maybe it was because of its political leanings and various guests that I've had on. Um, you know, the content that I do with, with Tan and Davey and Marina and others, um, I really enjoy it. Um, but some of you sort of long-time listeners might be also familiar with the fact that I like to tap into um, some academic subjects. I've had a, a psychologist on, uh, physicists and um, uh, yeah, I don't know. I, I suppose I have a healthy interest in tech and science, and I wanted to tap back into that um, here tonight, um, where I can uh, delve into a subject that, uh, that I mean, well, look, here's the thing, right? I feel, perhaps arrogantly, like I might have sort of just figured politics out now you know like 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 just get the fucking tories out like how is it so hard just get them the fuck out for fuck's sake like we've solved this puzzle i feel like i've solved that one but with science there's still all manner of unsolved problems and theories and research that is honestly fascinating to dive into so my guest tonight is a scientist involved in stem education and clinical trials. He was also involved in sharing uh, vaccine-related information, fighting misinformation on social media at the height of the pandemic. And tonight joins me, me, a complete fucking idiot, to educate me on those specialist areas. So please, welcome to the show, Dr. Paul Cross. Woo! Thank you very much. Hi there. You're very welcome. Good evening. Hiya, good evening, uh, and welcome to you. Um, Dr. Paul, shall I call you Dr. Paul or just Paul? Just pull sign. Good. That's that's the right answer because I was I was thinking it might be a bit awkward if we do a whole <laughs> show. Yeah. Doctor Paul, have you ever asked any? Have you corrected people before and gone? Um, actually, it's Doctor. I've Paul. wanted to. Have you? I've wanted to several times, but I never have. Never have <laughs> yet. Maybe I will one day. Depends who yeah. it is. I suppose it depends the tone of the conversation that you're having. Like exactly. if they're being a bit shitty to you, you might. Patronising. Yeah. Yeah. yeah um let's let's spool back a little bit let's get a bit of a an understanding bit of a sense of your background paul um how did you get into doing what you do like have you have you always been quote unquote a science guy good question 
I would say, so when I, was, I, do, I do STEM kind of work with schools, which is science, technology, engineering, mathematics, mm. basically STEM engagement work. So going to schools, talking to young people about my career and about how to get into STEM careers. And I always say that when I was at school, I actually loved science and art. When I say art, I mean creativity, like creative stuff, whether that's art itself or, or like um, writing. And I thought you had to choose one, basically. Yeah. So I went the science way because I thought you have to do one thing or another. You can't just do whatever you want and be individual. You can. Yeah. And so, yeah, I went the science route. But weirdly, I always came back to the creative stuff later on. So that's why I'm a bit of a mixture, mixture now. I do my science job, but I also do writing and STEM engagement stuff. So. Okay. Okay. So sort of like layers of creativity, but also a, a sort of respect for logic, like that kind of vibe. Um, Absolutely. Yeah. Is there or was there a sort of danger uh, with exploring science where it's like there's this common misconception that to get into science uh, and indeed like in my, in my side of things into technology that you have to be some sort of turbo geek? Like when you tell people that you're yeah. a scientist, do they go, oh, right, nerd, nerd alert? Like is there that sort of misconception still or is totally. that kind of died now? No, it's still, it's still, it's still um, stereotypes and right. I'm not like, clever, quite frankly, I'm actually average. I think people think that you have to be super intelligent to do certain jobs and you don't. Like, I'm, I'm actually really bad at maths and maths is quite a big part of my job. So there's other people that do that. Statisticians, we call them, and they do all the stats stuff. And I just go, yeah, thanks. That looks fine to me. <laughs> so. Yeah, it's sort of it, it, like I'm sensing some parallels with, with the tech world. So I always felt very similarly to you that... Uh, to get into to to tech web development programming like whatever you want to call it you would have to have uh got like a b or an a in maths at gcse and you know, like i even pushed back yeah. on my director when he suggested he was like oh you should do web development you should retrain and it, like i was like ah oh, i've never been good at maths like that's literally what i said like just shutting down this opportunity mm. that had been like yeah. handed to me <laughs> on a plate just like ah, i'm not very yeah. good at maths it's only once i started exploring it i was like oh well, i don't fucking need it's to fine. know this yeah like yeah. i'm fine um okay yeah, cool. so so did you i mean was stem a thing when you were studying at school or did you just you like you were good at biology yeah. and physics and... yeah biology actually so biology is my passion and I, and I ended up doing my biology degree and then yeah i didn't really to be honest i didn't really know what i wanted to do like most people i just did it and i know i like biology so i did biology degree and then I started looking, I was in Nottingham, uh, I went to Nottingham Trent University, mm -hmm. and at the end of uni, I started looking for jobs, I had loads of interviews, this is like 2003, whatever it was, uh -huh. and there was no jobs, and then there was actually jobs available in London, so I just kind of found this, um, a phase one unit, which is a, um, a volunteer centre where clinical trials are done, and it was like recruiting new graduates, so I was like, great, I'm just going to send my CV, got an interview, and literally got a job within about two weeks. And they were, just like, they were like recruiting loads of graduates at the same time. So it was like a kind of um, recruitment drive. Yeah. And I moved to London and that was that was it. The rest is history. So it wasn't actually a plan to go into trials that way. But I um, just as I started work, there was new legislation in place for trials coming in in 2004. Right. I became like experienced in that. And then quite quickly, we realised that in academia in particular, they weren't up to date with the legislation. So I got lots of jobs moving around, you know, checking trials and making sure they were done according to the new rules. And that's how I've built my experience over the years. Yeah. Yeah. I, I mean, I, I suppose my experience of clinical trials was, 
uh like a lot of people's was that sort of that one infamous one <laughs> that went really bad yes in 2006 yeah but i guess it's important to emphasize that that was like a one-off and like what i mean you can probably tell me what the chance like one in a like what chance is that of that sort of stuff absolutely incredibly unlikely so what happened there and it's actually changed legislation as well it's called the tijanero incident it was a company that um gave a new medicine to I think it was six volunteers all at the same time so actually since that since that time and um, phase one first in human trials when you give a new medicine to somebody for the first time it's done in a phased approach now okay so one person then maybe an hour later or the next day the next person then the next day that is standard practice now after that after that happened because giving it to six people and realizing that six people were suddenly getting sick at the same time is obviously yeah. is obviously serious and so now it's done the first time in human this is it's done in a phased approach so things do change as a result yeah. of these issues but it was like you said it was really unlikely really rare it's the first time in internationally that that's happened in in kind of recent times of trials i should say obviously there's things like the plodomide in the 60s there's, there's obviously been things that happened in the past which have influenced medicine development and, med and medicines legislation as well so is there a product that you've been involved in like clinical trials where it sounded like oh my this is going to be a game changer and then the clinical trial went so bad <laughs> like for whatever reason like it was still effective but it just put like oh we can't put this out yeah, there's been those trials that that nothing bad's happened. It's just that it's not as effective, or or for example, it's really expensive to make, right? And yet, it's not that much better than something that already exists. So, like comparing it to something else that's already out there, and they realise that it's it's got one percent effectiveness difference, yeah. and yet it's a hundred times more expensive. So it's just not going to work in in practice. There's so many elements to this. There's the safety and the efficacy, but there's also the the cost effectiveness as well. Is it worth going this new direction with a new medicine? Um, yeah so there's multiple elements to it sure sure and I, I suppose going into the world of clinical trials like that that must be a a buoyant employment sector to be involved in right now because of where we're at with the pandemic and all of these new treatments and ideally like sort of long-lasting vaccines and stuff so have you had much involvement in that in the pandemic yeah so i've done so I, part of my role now is, is auditing so i audit hospital sites, go in there, look at the trial and interview the staff. Mm. Like I said, there's legislation. A lot of my work is kind of training and education. So I teach people generally. I do lots of training online. During the pandemic, I don't know, online. I used to do it face-to-face. -face. Finally getting back to face-to-face, -face, which is good. I go into hospitals, I audit, I look at the files, I look at the um, how the medicines were administered and making sure that that's done according to the protocol. Every single trial has a, a clinical trial protocol, mm -hmm. which we have to work to. And that often changes throughout the trial. It gets updated as you as you learn things, right. learn information, whether it's from a safety perspective or whether it's from a logistical perspective, i.e. taking three samples five minutes apart on the wall didn't work, so let's do it 10 minutes apart. These kind of things which you need to build into a protocol sometimes don't work in practice, so you have to edit it along the way. Right. So that's the kind of work I do is making it work in practice, I guess. Yeah, like piece by piece, gradually just getting yeah. to a point where it makes sense. Yeah, absolutely. Cool, cool. And I suppose, like, while we're on the subject of, of the pandemic, uh, it'd be good to get your thoughts on on kind of where we're at with it. Like, I mean, it's sort of rightly or wrongly fallen down the news cycle to some extent now. Um, you know, there's yeah. the, the war in Ukraine. Um, we've got local elections coming up. There's a lot of political instability over here and in the US. 
so things have kind of like even though the numbers of deaths are still in the hundreds yeah. a day right yeah exactly it, it does feel like there's that i don't know the the days of salacious downing street briefings and everyone just thinking oh like when is this gonna end like all of that stuff appears to have sort of been sunsetted to some extent so what's your take on it like where are we with the pandemic it's a good question i call it or a lot of my colleagues and i can say we're in a new phase of the pandemic the pandemic is not over it's a different phase to what we were in like you mentioned the, the daily briefings and you know we are in a different phase that's due to many many things mainly um vaccination rollout of course but also the development of new treatments you mentioned recent trials so there's a new drug called paxlovid which has been recently licensed and that is given to high-risk patients if they get covid now so somebody who, who may be vaccinated may be boosted but may still have uh, limited immunity for whatever reason or maybe immunocompromised for example they may still be at high risk of getting a serious outcome from covid right hospitalization or death so this new antiviral drug which can be given within a few hours of realizing you've got covid Will hopefully suppress that and it is it's work it's worked in trials it's now being rolled out so we see it as a, in public health we see it as having a toolbox right we've got multiple tools now in the toolbox to manage this ongoing pandemic but we're still not out of it i still have concerns about you know, mass infection because there's the you know, there's the potential for new variants of course we know that it's happened multiple times already although it's looking all right at the moment but you know things could change what worries me is mass infection. What about the long-term effects of COVID? We still don't know that. So what other things going to happen to all of us? I've not had COVID yet, I don't think. Um, but if I'm, I will likely get it now that I'm going back to normal, um, as we all are. Yeah. It's probably inevitable that we're going to come across it. Um, so what are the long-term impacts of having COVID? The thing and that's something we don't know. The thing that's kind of weirded me out a bit with it is, so I, I did have COVID uh, last year yeah. and... It was, like I didn't get it super serious. I certainly wasn't, you know, rushed off to the hospital. Yeah. It was just like an incredibly bad flu for me. Yeah. Where I was like weekend at Bernie's, just slumped on the floor. Yeah. <laughs> like, and I've got Good. two young kids, so they were like running around, and uh, you know, my girlfriend was trying her best to keep the plates spinning, kind of thing in the house. Yeah. But I'm just like slumped there, you know, one eye open, just trying to make sure they don't kill themselves. Uh, but. I would, I guess I'd still categorize that as a, a relatively mild experience compared to what it could have been. I was reading stuff today where they said uh, that they're starting to figure out now or they're starting to establish that people who had serious COVID, of which I probably would not count myself in that bracket, but people who have had serious COVID uh, can expect some sort of like cognitive decline. Yeah. Which like blew my fucking mind. I was like, yeah. so if you have like, I mean, this whole time we've been thinking, you know, it's more serious than the flu, but also most people have it mild. But also mm -hmm. you might get it kind of serious. And now we're saying, and also if you do get this sort of fluey thing, you might fucking damage your brain. Yeah, exactly. So what we know about COVID is that it's definitely not like the flu. It's not an influenza virus. It infects multiple organs and tissues, including the brain and the heart. Mm. So, and yeah, what else? We don't know everything yet. Um, we're learning every day. It's also long COVID as well. You know, obviously that post-viral syndrome that's affecting millions of people. Mm -hmm. So again, we don't want to scare longer because it's just like we have to just, we have to live. This is the situation we're in. This is the world we live in now. Yeah. We have to get on with life to some degree. So I accept that. But for me, I still do a risk assessment every day. I think about, you know, 
on the tube i always wear a mask i wear a mask in the pub but i, I, I do go to the pub yeah i didn't go to the pub before yeah i've started going back to the pub and seeing my friends which is great actually socializing again yeah you know, these kind of things that i was not doing because i was like completely paranoid actually no it's we need to have an we need to have consider the other elements mental health for example being locked away is not good for our mental health there's all these other things that have come out from the pandemic well which we need to deal with so yeah i suppose it's a balancing act isn't it like you need to see your friends and family like it's a great way to describe it yeah we're a social uh species you know we we thrive on i suppose you could make the case that we're supposed to operate in tribes and we're supposed to sort of you know move around a lot more than we do now we tend to live in like towns and cities yeah. with tens of thousands if not millions of people but we are like fundamentally a social being and when you remove that uh that connection from people and that need to have sort of a transactional conversation like an exchange with someone uh i don't i mean i'm not a psychologist i don't know what that does to someone but i imagine uh well i imagine it generates depression because speaking Absolutely. as a parent when you're a parent and you're sort of effectively locked in your house isolated from people you know we all know what that does in like postpartum kind of period and um so yeah so i guess it is it's just you know taking precautions wearing a mask where you can getting your jab when they're offered actually exactly. that's that's an interesting thing to get onto so i had sort of assumed that we were going to continuously roll out like booster programs to to keep everyone kind of topped up but everything appears to have slowed down now is that your understanding as well or can we expect another program happening or yeah i, I think it's still up in the air a little bit i think they're gonna it's, it's all about risk assessment right so that's part of what i do in my job as well actually is risk assessment you assess what i do that for example i do it on the ward look at the, the risks for a trial so one of them would be um the risks of giving a the medicine to six people at once you do it to one person at a time you know that based on what happens in 2006 so it's the same principle right it's about applying risk to a situation now this is a big scale public health is a massive scale of you know considering all these different elements from mental health through to schools and the impact on children's education there's all these other elements to consider so they're having to do it i don't envy the people who are having to make these decisions yeah i really don't because it's, it's that bigger picture and they're having to balance balance all those different elements and spin all those different plates that say and work out right what is the best outcome here so that's the question i think i know so basically i'm actually i actually have um therapy for i've got arthritis so i have injections monthly right so i'm classed as high risk but i'm kind of probably low risk of the high risk group people right right because i'm i'm 40 i'm not i'm not elderly you know i've got other kind of things on my side yeah against that so i'm yeah. probably lower risk um but for me because i have that medication I know that I am at risk of getting COVID and maybe having a worse outcome. So that's why I probably avoid things more than others, right? So if you don't have that risk, then you wouldn't need to do it. So I'll, I'll probably continue to have boosters because of that, um, yeah. as, as will people in older categories and other different conditions because it's the best thing to do. I don't know about the population. I'm not sure the decision-making is there yet. I haven't seen and heard anything about that actually for a while. Mm. I assume there'll be boosters around the end of the year again, perhaps for the majority of people yeah well, i i was sort of looking at it on the basis that so i think i got my booster in november or december and they were saying like especially with omicron that the uh uh efficacy or the like um uh well, i can't think of the word now brain's completely gone but um perhaps that's my long covid kicking in uh 
but the like uh, how how effective the vaccine works after like they reckoned between like eight weeks and ten weeks it would start to fade. So yeah. I'm thinking. So at this stage, I'm probably defenseless. <laughs> so I'm a little bit like if they're going to roll out the booster program, and you say like you know there's probably conversations going on, and they have to weigh these things up. But but I'm a bit like you're leaving it a bit late. <laughs> when you say defenseless. You're definitely not defenseless you've, you've right. got immunity and that's the thing when it when, when immunity wanes it is like a sliding scale and it's not like to the zero it's just oh, like slowly going down and that's that's kind of model there's modeling done of all that and you have to take many samples from many thousands of people millions of people to work out the, the kind of how, how that is declining and i don't think that it goes back to zero okay. but remember that what we're looking at here the vaccines are really good at preventing serious illness and death right that's yeah. the kind of focus it doesn't stop you from getting covid mm. so just because your immunity may be waning, you may get COVID. It doesn't it just, hopefully they protect you against serious illness and death. That's, that's kind of the point. So that's what the boosters will continue to do is just boost us continuously to keep that. Yeah. Oh, you're frozen. You still there? I lost you there for a second, but I think yeah. you're back. Yeah. Oh, sorry. No, you're back. I, it's okay. Yeah. 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 Uh, so, so okay so um like where you were saying a second ago about uh you know they don't prevent you getting covid um they just yeah. you know hopefully ideally prevent you getting serious illness and death um it sort of brings me on to my next point um so at, at the height of the pandemic you were uh supporting and fighting misinformation um how the fuck do you do that like how do you do that in tw well 2020 it was kicking off right and through 2021 and like I have intelligent friends who were buying into this stuff going like, oh, you know, masks are just face nappies. And, um, you know, if you can smell a fart through a pair of jeans, then why would you think that a mask was going to, you know, like all, all of the usual rubbish. Um, how did you, what, what was the strategy? Like what were you pulled in to do to fight all of that? That's a good question. I was a bit naive actually. I was like, oh yes, I, I work in trials. I can tell people like that. Yeah. I just got on the internet and talk about it. And I was like, oh, whoa, what's this? Yeah. <laughs> All these trolls, you know, it's like. But I did no they idea. call you? Did they call you like a shill? Like... Honestly, I had. To, I, I made some TikToks about it actually. I'll send them to you. Yeah. I did, I did like a. I did a TikTok. You remember there was that trend about um kind of comments made into like um posters or whatever it was. Look at it and made into motivational posters. Oh right! And it, was, it, was, it was like um, I did the, I did all the posters behind me with like shill and fire and demon and sh you know yeah. like, all these things I get called like the devil, yeah, evil going to yeah you know, going to hell all this kind of stuff for for working on vaccines. It's like all right, calm down. Um, yeah, so I had no I didn't know what to expect really. I was a bit naive. Um, I didn't do a lot of this to be honest compared to some of my colleagues who do a lot more videos and have been like, like making a, making stuff. a lot more content. Yeah. I feel like a bit of a fraud compared to them because I, I literally did this occasionally compared to some people who literally made videos every day. Yeah. And actually, I'll be honest, the part of the reason why I didn't do it as much is because of the trolling. I just literally got to a point where I was like, I can't, I can't bear it. And and that was a bad thing to do because they, they wouldn't at the end of the day. They kind of trolled me into it's, silence. It's a hard thing to, like, you've got to have quite a thick skin uh, and not take yourself too seriously because yeah. they will fucking go in on you. Yeah. Um, and I know, like, I'm not a scientist fighting misinformation. I'm just an idiot that does, you know, mostly political, jokey stuff or, you know, occasionally serious. But it's, you know, they don't hold back. Like, if, like, I've had everything from you look like a rat to big ears to uh, uh, calling me a champagne socialist because of how I speak. Uh, like, I mean, it's, it's, 
it is relentless. Like today, I put a tweet out, uh, uh, just saying like, I mean, I'm pretty sure this is it word for word, but like the tweet was some something along the lines of, um, I understand if you don't want to vote for Keir Starmer or if you don't want to vote for Labour, but what I don't understand is why you would hate him more than Boris Johnson. Like, and the, like the yeah. nuts and the bolts of it are basically like, look, you don't have to vote for Keir Starmer because you fucking love him, but you know. It's it's a bit weird that you would that you that you hate him more than Boris Johnson, right? But the the flack, oh my god! Like my Twitter's exploded today with the, just people digging out my old tweets, people like drawing pictures oh my on gosh. my on my face, like on my profile picture, and I'm a bit like, oh, if weird. I like if I had thinner skin, or if I was sort of really sense, or if I was a woman on the internet, like what would they have done to me? Mm. Um, so it's yeah, I don't know. It can be the internet's a a cruel fucking place if if Absolutely. certainly if you're new to it and if you're not used to that sort of stuff um so that's well, that's depressing that they sort of scared you off to some extent i think i kind of had phases where i stopped and then started again i think now i've got to that point where i'm i've, I've got thicker skin now and i deal with it and a lot because a lot of my colleagues particularly women colleague women in stem got loads of misogyny and and actually we kind of formed groups you know on whatsapp and stuff where we talked about stuff and actually it helped Mm. That kind of kind of peer support actually really helped. And when I saw what some of the people were going for, I was like, oh my gosh, I've got it easy. Yeah, actually, I need to just get back on this. I can't be hiding away when actually I got one one comment on my post. Yeah, yeah. compared to these people, like what you what, what you obviously had as well. So I've also realised it's just a lot of it is you know, a lot of it is bots. A lot of it's not real. I think during the pandemic there was a lot of disinformation. Yeah, I'm not sure which country was involved in that, but I think we can probably guess after yeah. some recent events. Um, yeah, so. All this kind of stuff. There's a lot more to it than meets the eye. It's not all. It's, it's not yeah. always. You know, I mean, this is it. Like I, person. I have a theory that if somebody sends me an abusive tweet or an insulting tweet or whatever, uh, if they don't have a realish sounding name or handle, and they have some sort of fake cartoony profile picture, I will make the educated guess that that is a not it's not a bot in the sense of it being an automated service, but it's a bot in the sense that it is probably a foreign nation yeah. trying to create, you know, distortion yeah. and yeah. division. And, yeah. um, and the, the reason I come to that conclusion is I think there are people out there who use Twitter anonymously, uh, for all manner of reasons. Some of them are just outright cowards, uh, who, who want to go online and start shit, uh, for whatever reason. Um, and then there's some people who use it anonymously, uh, because their identity is actually quite sensitive. Like if you've got someone mm. who's trans or gay or, yeah. you know, and, and they want to go on to experience the internet, but they can't go on as their true self yeah. because, you know, their family Absolutely. will find out. Like that's, that, I'm sure that is the case for some people, but I think the lion's share by a huge majority is either, yeah, like foreign nation uh, stuff or very angry individuals. And if it's either one of those, it's kind, it's a bit like, well, I don't really give a fuck. <laughs> yeah. You know, like... It becomes... I started to, yeah, I started to realise that actually, do, why do these people matter? And actually, especially the the trolls that are like actually anti-science, I'm, I've got over it. I'm like, actually, I'm doing the right thing. I'm doing my best. Right. Just, actually, I have a profile with my face and I put videos and content out. Yeah. These, most of these people don't even show their faces. So that's, that's, that's it, isn't it, really? That shows the... Yeah. What's the point of being intimidated by these people? You know, um, the interesting thing, though, is like... So you, you put... Uh, a let's say um uh dispelling or uh 
dismantling misinformation video out onto TikTok, right? Yeah. And then they give you two or three shitty comments. And that's enough to make you, as an intelligent person who is capable of critical thought, it's enough to make you go like, oh, shit, you know, I don't know, I don't know if I'm up for this. Uh, this is a bit, you know. But isn't it interesting that it's the people who put the misinformation out who must get hundreds, if not thousands of comments saying, you don't know what the fuck you're talking about. Shut this yeah. account down. You're such a yeah. twat. You're you're killing people with this stuff. Like, and they, they literally like, yeah, well, Just carry on. I don't care. Yeah. <laughs> like, what and is it about, about that type of mind? <laughs> It's like, oh, that's, yeah. that's the other thing. That's, that's what annoys me about myself and our people, my colleagues. We just like, we get really bothered by it being wrong as well. If we make a mistake, like we say something wrong, we're like, I have to do, delete the video, redo it, because actually that piece of information is longer, was valid last Monday, but now, now it's different, you know? Yeah. And actually, there's people like posting complete crap and it's going viral, six million views, and then they don't care. And actually, we're worried about our yeah. content being perfect. And that also comes down to the content creation as well, that actually, if Something is, you know, not clear yet. For example, the vaccine effectiveness, whatever. And then we don't want to make a bit of video on it until we know the, the facts, you know. And then mm. actually, by the time we do the, the video, it's pretty too late, and we've lost that impact or that important moment that we should have done it at. So okay. Gotta yeah, jump we're on constantly that, yes. we're analyzing everything, and it's just like ah, stop overthinking it, just do it. But, yeah, you got to jump on that trend quick. That's the thing. Yeah, yeah. Uh, <laughs> exactly. But um, but yeah, I mean, like you are so you versus one of these misinformation accounts are completely different profiles though so you're you're coming from a place of science right which is fundamentally a a search for truth to find the fact yeah. of something uh they are on there literally to generate clicks or create shit you know start some drama um so yeah it's unsurprising that they would fail to correct so do you know sometimes it's infuriating as well because it's like i suppose like my equivalent of this would be uh last week i did a video where i was talking about how if there was such thing as a fascism dashboard then it would be blinking red right now because of uh yeah. like all of these bills that the government have put through yeah. and i i was describing the um health and social care bill and the crime and sentencing bill and um uh, jailing journalists for 10 years if they embarrass the government and all of these threats and all of these bills and um and one of the one of the examples i wheeled out was uh protesting could get you a 10-year sentence right and somebody somebody commented with like i don't know two followers or you know just an anonymous account just said this is min misinformation don't be surprised if you're like went or don't cry about it when your account gets pulled when you're putting out lies like this and it really like it it was visceral <laughs> Paul, yeah. it was like oh fuck have i maybe i did put something out that wasn't 100 yeah, yeah. it, it makes you doubt yourself yeah exactly yeah. that's part of, that's part of the it's part of their own playbook is to make you doubt yourself and you go oh shit i need to check all that and, well that's that's yeah. exactly what happened like so then i was like did I get the number of years wrong of the potential, yeah. like the sentencing guidelines or so? So then I went away. I thought, Do you know what? I can't leave it up. I don't want to have my account pulled. I don't want to be pulled up, you know, five, ten more times by other people saying, oh, he's got it wrong. This is a lie. So I just deleted the video. And then later I was talking to uh, one of the other creators, Davey Moo. And I was saying like, oh, you know, I made a mistake earlier on this TikTok. And I said it was 10 years sentence for protesting. And. And he goes, it is 10 years. It is, yeah. And I was like, are you fucking kidding? What? And then he went off and like, tried because I said, oh, I tried to find some news to support it. And he was like, look here, like he posted like a couple of articles saying, yeah, 10 years. Yeah. 
for protesting. And uh, I was like, oh, motherfucker. Like, in this yeah. little anonymous account with, like, no followers is like, oh, this is a lie. And then I'm like, oh, shit, I have to delete it all. It's just infuriating. I guess it's so annoying. similar to, to what you're describing. Absolutely. That's exactly it. And often, yeah, then I've had this conversation with my colleagues so many times that we're like, actually, what we're doing is right. And if you make it, if it's a mistake, it doesn't matter. There's so much misinformation. We just mm-hmm. say, we just do a, a we just do a duet and say, actually, this was wrong. It's now this or yeah, whatever. You just add to it. You add to the information you put out there. And I think we've started to realize that that's more important. And then some of my colleagues have been amazing. Like from day one in the pandemic, they did videos and they've done them every day since then, which yeah. is like a lot of videos. Um, and actually getting to know them during the pandemic has been great. It's been giving me confidence to do more of it. And so I started going to schools actually and doing school visits. You wouldn't be, you'd be surprised how many kids are worried about vaccinations now because of the misinformation they've seen on TikTok or wherever. Yeah, that's a big problem now, and it's impacting all different areas of other vac- you know, other childhood vaccinations as well, not just COVID. Yeah, so it's it's become it's a big issue. It's only going to get worse for a while, and we have to just. I thought it get was back on it. like the the whole sort of anti-vax stuff. I thought naively, perhaps, had been confined to southern states in the US. Like I never dreamed yeah, that everywhere. It was, yeah, that it would come over this way. Um, and the first, my first sort of experience of seeing it actually in the UK, I went to go and get my hair cut and this, uh, I think I'm, I'm okay to say this, this obese lady uh, was cutting my hair and uh, we got talking about the pandemic because that was the big thing. And it was, I think it was in between lockdowns when everyone was like, uh, oh, we can all get out for a haircut now, like that, that sort of period. And, uh, and I said, oh, have you had your jab yet? Oh, you booked him for your jab. And she was like, no, no, you know, I just don't, I uh, don't trust it. You know, I, I'm not sure what it will do to me. And I, you know, I just rather wait. And, and I remember sitting there thinking like getting my hair cut by this obese woman with like clogged arteries who like, I mean, I know this sounds mean, but fuck it. I'm going to say it. Uh, you know, probably just came off a lunch break, scoffing a fucking Burger King in like a couple of Pepsis and like, ice cream and stuff and then she's like i don't know what it'll do to my arteries like what if it clogs my arteries aid anyway let me cut i'm just like oh christ really have we like we've really drunk the kool-aid of this in in the uk that was my first experience have you got friends so you right you're in in science you're in the thick of it have you also got friends who have bought into the anti-vax stuff yeah really really have and it's this is the thing right it's a lot of a lot of misinformation stems from something, right? So, if somebody says um, vaccines are one hundred percent safe, and then there's an adverse event which is in the news, then but they're like, wait a minute. So it's a lot of this is is based on real fear, and you can understand it. Mm. So the way we try and to explain it back is actually it's a benefit, it's a risk assessment, right? Risks, okay. So the risks of COVID are greater versus the vaccine. That's proven multiple times now. Mm. So nothing is risk-free and that's a, that's, a, that's what we try and put across that yeah there is there are risks with the, some, some people who do react to a vaccine some people have a bad effect mm. but there's very few numbers compared to the people that get sick from covid in the current um current pandemic so it's that kind of balance of going right what's which way which group should i go into the, the one with the less illness or the one with the more the more illness i'll go into the less illness and have the vaccine yeah yeah um but yeah talking about that what you said about people's understanding of risk as well there was, a, there was a viral TikTok and it was a woman smoking 
talking about the vaccine, how she was not going to have a vaccine. It was just, and she was smoking like 20 cigarettes during this spiel on video. Yeah. And everyone was commenting, you're, so, <laughs> you're literally killing us. And it's the same thing. Like people just, how could you not have a vaccine, but you'll smoke 20 cigarettes? You know, it's the same thing. Yeah. Um, well, it becomes a sort of a culture or like subculture, doesn't it? It's like, I'm all about personal liberty, personal freedom. That's why I choose to smoke. And that's why I say no to this jab. Like it's, yeah. Yeah. that becomes their entire identity. It's weird. This is the thing. The moment when vaccination was politicized, which was in the US mainly, and it's spread around the world, and not just the US, it's been in multiple countries, but you know, that was a big thing in the US, that politicization of, of vaccines. That was that was it. That was a kind of shot in the foot. Um so Yeah. Yeah. Science and politics do go hand in hand because politics you know, the government funds science, of course, so there's always that, that need for them to be linked, but there should have been a separation um, very early on. So, Yeah, yeah. Okay, um, let's let's move on, because um, I'd like to, to talk a bit about your STEM uh, education stuff. Um, yeah. My sense of, I mean, look, I, d I don't really know much about uh, uh, STEM research, but my the little I do understand of it is that it has the potential to uh, to be huge. For mankind in terms of curing and treating people with uh, a plethora of, of issues but it also gets pushback from fundamentalists from like religious quarters uh so perhaps you can't be this brutal <laughs> but but i can so i'm just gonna say it <laughs> do you accept that as sort of nature of the beast when these people say oh you know it's unholy you know you're creating these cells you're playing god do you accept that as nature of the beast that you have to deal with fucking morons like that or does it frustrate you i don't really think about it to be honest because all the research that i'm involved in any research that i've seen in my career it has to go through an ethics committee mm. it go it, it goes to a committee anything that's any piece of research whether it's doing a clinical trial or whether it's um doing some genetics analysis or maybe some gene therapy or whatever it may be has to go through ethics mm. and an ethics committee is made up of multiple people from priests through to lawyers, through to lay people, lots of different types of people go on our committee. And they sit in a big room, the person running the study has to present that study to the committee and they make an assessment. Mm. And that is part of the approval of every study in the UK. Actually, most I think most countries really, I don't really know to be exact, but definitely in the UK. So from my perspective, I've always thought the ethics is priority that is considered by an independent panel I've never, to, I've never thought about the people who are against it, <laughs> to be honest. Like people campaigning and lobbying against it after that yeah. ethics committee. Do they have a similar thing in the US then? Because I, I feel like maybe the anti-STEM movement is bigger over there, but maybe it'll be like the anti-vax thing and bleed its way over here. Yeah, they, they have something called an Institutional Review Board, IRB, which is basically the equivalent of a Research Ethics Committee, REC, which is here in the UK. So most countries have some sort of ethical board um, it's not RB in the state, so again, they have approval to do research, um, and yeah, I, I don't really think about it because. Do you ever get pushback just, in these? Well, first question, I suppose. Have you you've sat or presented in these ethics committees, or? I presented. I've never sat as one as a, a member of an ethics committee, but I had to present my PhD and project, and I was really scared. <laughs> Actually, it was one of the most scariest things that I've done because I've, I've never I've never presented my own research before. I'd always no. like set up trials on behalf of other people or, or with pharma company or with the NHS or whoever it was. So I was never actually doing, this is my, what I created. I was like, is it really yeah. shit? Is <laughs> there anything? Be like... 
Are you familiar with any like ethics committee presentations that were then not signed off? They were like, no, oh, this yeah, is loads. fucked. Yeah. Like, why would yeah, you yeah. do this? Really? Yeah, um, yeah, definitely. Um, clinical trials sometimes. Most things don't. They're not like completely no. They're they're like we don't like this. We don't like what you said here. Please rewrite it and resubmit. You know, you have to re, re rewrite the protocol. For example, maybe the patients have got to travel twenty times in a week, and that's just too much. So like they shouldn't be traveling that much. Can't you? Can they stay in a hotel? Yeah, that kind of thing. Oh. It's, like, it's kind of these like logistical things that make things better for the people taking part in the studies. I was and also there's obviously the safety side as well. I was getting excited then. I, I thought you were going to say something like, "Oh yeah, like there's a you know there's a project five years ago. Eh? They, they wanted to grow arms on the back of like terminally ill people on like that, that aren't conscious. They're just stuck in comas, and then they thought you know like that would not get signed off, right? But that would be a no fucking crazy thing to present <laughs> at an ethics. Do you know what's really funny? You said that. Um, I was chatting to my partner. We we're watching the X Files re- reruns. Yeah. And during the X-Files, there was like 10, 10 years of X-Files, right? And the kind of trope of crazy scientists creating gene therapy aliens, whatever, is like in every, in every other episode, right? And we're like, no wonder people in the pandemic don't trust scientists. Like this kind of yeah. this trope has been like in social, in science science and fiction for like so many years of this underlying don't trust pharma, don't trust kind of medicine, don't trust scientists. Yeah. And every single every time we watch an episode, we were laughing. We're like, oh my God, it's, the same. it's another crazy doctor doing a crazy study, you know? And um, so, yeah, there's a kind of... It, I suppose it's like, it starts <laughs> off it starts off as a sort of cliche lazy thing and then yes. I, I wonder if like when they do the screenwriting for it they go how are we going to convince the audience that this person is a scientist and then yeah, yeah. you know the writers room go like well you know if we want to make it easy uh, just white coat and glasses yeah. german accent evil and, yeah <laughs> kills people yeah. yeah okay perfect scientists yeah that's the thing it's like this, this... It's funny, it's cliche, but um, unfortunately, no, the, the ethics committees I've been on are really, like, boring. It's like, um, how many cups of tea do they get in a week? Five? Yeah. That's not enough. They should have one every hour. Make it ten. Yeah. Well, that's good. I mean, it's nice to know that the ethics committee have solved any ethical concerns that they can focus yeah. on just cups of yeah, tea yeah. and stuff. So just to be clear, no presentations for anything like the human centipede. Not that I've been aware of. I can't... I, I need to put, like, a... That's a really... I've not like been involved a... in every committee, so I don't know. It may it's a really happened. like political answer there. It's like not that I've been aware. Of. You're not fully denying it though, Paul. Who knows what happens behind closed doors? <laughs> I watch the X Files. So. Yeah. Um, okay. Cool. Let's uh, let's jump on to this uh, this next question because I'm I'm itching to uh, to pick your brain on this. So uh, this is this is a bit outside of your field, perhaps. Uh, but you are. I know you said you're not an overly smart guy, but come on, you're you're a bit smart. Uh, and you must be g'd up about the potential that we have to be great, right? As human beings, as to, like in f- how far we're getting with research at the moment to reduce suffering, to employ human ingenuity, to get ourselves out of global challenges. Um, but I sort of feel like we're just on this precipice of understanding of like the singularity of the virtual reality revolution and and things like STEM. And yet, just as we're about to figure all these things out is just at the same moment we're about to run out of oil and civilization collapses or climate change renders the entire planet uninhabitable. Like, firstly, that's a weird moment to be just at this peak where everything's going to get fucking amazing and at the same time, everything's going to collapse. Like, do you... Like, am I completely off base with that? Do you feel like that... Is that where we're at? Or am I being really doomsday? 
you know these that's what i think about all the time i go from one to the other right i swing between the two of like hope and like we're at this amazing like utopia to the oh no it's going to be dystopia i literally one extreme to the other um, How bad and then obviously this year with what's happened in ukraine you think yeah what's going to happen and yeah we're just going to destroy ourselves probably <laughs> hopefully not See, this is interesting because uh there's a guy oh i forget his surname now daniel daniel whitson i think daniel whitson uh was on a few weeks ago he's a physicist and uh i asked him a very similar question uh and i said so like do, you know do you have hope that we're gonna you know make it through this period and then because we were talking about time travel and we talk about light speed travel and oh, all cool. this stuff and uh i said so do you think we're gonna make it through like the next 50 100 years to actually see this stuff come to fruition he's like yeah. nah <laughs> i was like fucking great so yeah. what, like what are we even excited about here like we'll figure out light speed travel and then actually never be able to use it i think for me the climate crisis is the scariest thing the fact that we just it's like completely people just carry on like normal without thinking about it and this is like not a thousand years from now it's 50 years from now you know there could be a a mass exercise could be mass, mass extinction due to methane escaping from the surface of you know the kind of siberia for example you know there's all these kind of things that i read about which i shouldn't read about and i go actually is that going to happen then you read about 10 more articles it's like 10 different people saying 10 different things you're like ah, just ignore it go back yeah. to normal focus on today you know <laughs> so yeah i do go through one extreme to the other but it's kind of like if you if you do read too deeply into it you'll drive yourself fucking nutty yeah but at the same time it's good to be aware but at the same time, it's like, is it good to be aware or should you just be blissfully ignorant? Because actually what you're doing is making your time here now more miserable. This Whereas... is what I talk about every day. And that's what I've been saying this a lot lately. It's like, it's not good to be blissfully ignorant, but it's also not good to ruin whatever time we do have. You don't know. Also, we could go out tomorrow and hit, like, get hit by a bus. You know, the climate crisis could be irrelevant. So this, is, this is what I'm telling myself now. Actually try and live in now. Try and work on amazing studies, kind of, present science to kids get them inspired you know to hopefully be the kids that the people that fix all these problems maybe who knows yeah i thought that's the only thing i can do now is just try and try and do the best i can with whatever time there is yeah i mean that's the the key thing is like it's good to be aware like we said but it's i think it's good to be also aware of your limitations as a human yeah. being in terms of like how much you can personally do to fix this or Absolutely. escape this yeah. And that's a huge thing. That's like, well, if I read 15 blogs about the climate crisis and see how bad everything's going to get, well, fucking great. But you're going to turn yourself into a nervous wreck and you won't be able to do like your margin for change to actually escape anything. Like what are you going to do? Fly off to some corner of New Zealand. And it's yeah. like even then it's like not guaranteed that you're like, you know, the climate will change. There'll be no rain there. Like it's. So it's kind of like you 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 have to admit unfortunately that you are not the master of your own destiny and whatever yeah. happens is kind of going to happen <laughs> yeah there's also a lot of um especially a lot of climate activists and climate um communicators who are saying actually the kind of doom and gloom is not helping anybody and we can actually deal with this if we all start focusing on the positives it's quite there's some really amazing communicators on TikTok actually who share kind of all the, th all the good things that are happening with climate change and your climate um, solutions. Yeah. So I'm trying to follow more of them and trying to read, what, what, watch their videos and go, yeah, okay, there is stuff happening and it is good. And that's all we can do, isn't it? Yeah, like there's, there's some hope there buried deep in the depths of my mind. But like <laughs> I, I wrote a blog on this a few weeks ago, Paul, and 
I looked at different energy sources. Uh, it was off the back of like in in the first few weeks of Ukraine, and I thought like, why is nobody talking about this? Like for what it is, it's an oil or gas war because Ukraine is rich with it's just a fucking sweetie shop of like natural resources, and should they pull out all of the natural gas from Ukraine and sell it to the EU? Russia are kind of fucked because that's where Russia sell all of their natural gas. So why is nobody talking about this? And like the conclusion oh, okay. that I came to was like, because if they start talking about this and actually shining a light on it for what it is, instead of talking about like Vladimir's gone mad or like, mm. you know, it's neo-Nazis taking over. If they actually were honest about it and said, this is all about gas and there's only a finite amount of it left. And when it does run out, everything's fucked your neighbors are going to break into your house and bludgeon you to death for the contents of your larder like if if they were that honest about it people would lose their fucking minds yeah and so anyway i, I started looking at these different energy sources and all, all the usual suspects like nuclear and oil and wind and solar and literally every single one of them one by one i was like that's not going to work because so solar panels are you going to cover the whole world in solar panels how what yeah. which countries are going to go without solar panels that can't yeah. afford the oil that generates solar panels and the same with wind and the same with like nuclear comes from uranium but there's only enough uranium to power the world at current levels for the next like 50 years so if power goes up and up like and if we power the entire world with uranium that's going to go down to about a tenth of, so it would last like 12 years or so. So basically I went through all of this shit and I was like, yeah, we're really, really fucked. Can I just say I was really ignorant to all that and now I feel really stressed. Well, yeah, I like to uh, spread my joy <laughs> unto the world. I was, I was like, everything's great. The world's going to be fine. We're going to fix it. And I'm like, oh no, shit, I haven't been reading enough. Yeah, I was ignorant. I, mean, I was wonderfully ignorant. I, I, yeah, I'm sorry to bring you down like that. Sorry to, against all the odds, educate the scientist where I'm the guy that doesn't really know anything. Uh, but yeah, I was, I was talking to a guy the other day and he was like, just take solace in the fact that we're in Britain and Britain have quite a lot of money. And so Britain will probably buy a shit ton of solar panels and be all right. It will be like the vaccines all over again. I saw, like, a, I saw an article actually about today. Like Boris Johnson's announced this like link to Morocco to, to have solar panels or something some power oh, really? from Morocco. I was like, and I was like, what? Why is it? Why is he suddenly announcing all this stuff two days before the elections? Like, yeah. oh no, we're going to save climate change. I was like, mm, dodgy. It's not. It's not actually real, is it? It's a made-up story. <laughs> yeah, it's like just, just like how many lies do we have to hear before we go? Yeah. Like, this is a lie, isn't it? Yeah, and it's um, per perfectly planned for two days before the elections. So yeah, like I, I saw something similar. I think it was yesterday or this morning. Uh, he said he was going to build a new nuclear power station every year. For 10 years. I was like... Is this like the, is this like the 40 hospitals that they, they were going to build that only six existed or something? Yeah, it's exactly what I thought. I was like, 40 yeah. new hospitals and what was it, like yeah. 20,000 new police and... Or was it 20,000 new staff that actually were the same people that already existed? But just... Yeah. Yeah, or the other one was... Um, fudging the numbers. Yeah, like the... the P, not PPE, the gloves. Is that count, counts PPE? But they said, oh yeah, yeah it's, yeah. we've got 50,000 new pairs of gloves or something coming in. And they were counting like each glove. So one glove was like gloves. <laughs> it's so hooky. Oh, so depressing. Um, but yeah, so uh, so I yeah, I'm not really sure how to leave us on a on a high note then, Paul. Um, no. Give me give me some 
some uplifting news from the science world that can, we can round off with. What's the last good news story that you heard? Um, a gene therapy gel has been created for a disease which causes kind of a breakdown of proteins. And it's called, I can't remember the name of the, the disease, epidermis something, bilosa. Okay. That's not the right word. Ignore that. Anyway, it's just, it's a, it means basically it's a disease that causes a breakdown of proteins in the tissue, right? So these patients get really bad. Um, yeah, their skin literally breaks down. They kind of walk out into the street and they tear. And they have to like be bandaged. It's a really horrific, rare disease. They've created a gene therapy. Basically, it's a, due to a protein, a lack of protein in, in the tissue. So this gene therapy puts um, puts the right genes in, and the genes for, for this protein are kind of added to the genetic makeup. Yeah. And then it can repair. Um, it can create healthy tissue, basically. So this is happening recently. It's been amazing. It's an amazing piece of gene therapy research, which is going to hopefully improve the lives of many people with this horrible, awful disease. So that's, that's good. Pretty amazing. How how far away are we? Just um, where we were touching on STEM education earlier. How far away are we with STEM? Where somebody can have a stroke, and it destroys part of their uh like sort of physical and you know like where we we talk about their face kind of sloping they can't talk or it's slurred speech and then isn't there some sort of treatment that they were talking about with like uh with stem where you could potentially restore all of their function is that right or yeah so uh, yeah i guess so basically a stroke would be a blockage in, in the brain and it would obviously stop blood flow to blood flow to a certain part of the brain so I guess the, the idea is that you would put stem cells into the part of the t brain that's been damaged and it would regenerate. So yeah. um, the good thing about stroke is that if you have a stroke, obviously serious strokes different, but minor strokes, um, new pathways can be built around around the clot, around the dead tissue. So often a lot of patients get some of their, um, their movement back and that, you know, with therapy, they can recover and mm. depends on the severity of the disease, of course, of the, of the, of the, of the stroke. But yeah, I guess there's, there's loads of things like this. There's also um, using stem cells for people who are paralyzed, for example, who have a spinal cord injury, yeah. putting stem cells into the spinal cord to, to rebuild that link, and then they can recover their, the use of their limbs, for example. But I think also we're going to go to technology as well. Mm. We're going to be using like you know exoskeletons for people who can't walk or um, bionic limbs are going to get really advanced where somebody who's lost a limb could have this bionic arm, which could actually be stronger than their original arm. So is like the transcendence to the next level of humanity hopefully yeah. we do exist it's like i suppose it'll start off in that that regard like where you're helping people who have suffered an injury to regain the function of a normal human body and then yeah. it will propel itself to like emphasizing or like uh improving yeah. on human functionality so like one guy will be yeah. like do you know what i quite fancy having a really fucking strong right take it off Just, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Give me a new one Okay, last question for you, uh, and then and then we'll have to wrap up. But thank you very much for for uh, sharing an hour of your evening with me. Um, you. So I've had I've had tinnitus for about um, uh, well, originally I think I got it in twenty I was twenty six, twenty seven, somewhere around there, uh, and then I went on a long haul flight to Singapore and back, and it got like a lot worse. Uh, and now it's at a point like where if I'm like I lay down to go to sleep, I can always hear it. Um, and I'm like, I struggle at times to hear what my girlfriend's mm -hmm. saying. And um, uh, but I had read somewhere this is about a year ago. They were they were looking into like STEM research for that. Does that ring any bells with right. you? Do you are you aware? Is that, does it sound like something that could be fixed with STEM? Um, I'm not I've not heard of anything. But again, 
damage to the you know, cochlea or so, so something within the ear, if there is, if that's what's causing the tinnitus, then having stem cells to rebuild that kind of damaged area of the, of the ear mm. also makes sense. So, yeah, there's going to be so many applications for this this technology. And so, when yeah, when think... can you squeeze me in? <laughs> I'm not doing that. We need to go to the ethics committee first. So, <laughs> All right. Talk about tea and coffee and putting things into people's ears. So yeah, it's fine. Like they'll they'll sign it off. It's I'll just say yeah. yeah he's he's promised me seven cups of tea. It's fine. <laughs> um, I'm sure they'll pass it. So. Yeah. Cool. Uh, thank you so much again for for joining me tonight, uh, Dr. Paul Cross. Um, if you enjoy these shows and if you're in a position to, please do consider uh, supporting via Patreon. Uh, shout out to Kerry and Paul once again for getting in there first. Um, there's three tiers that you can jump on and all content goes on Patreon first. It does then go out to Apple Podcasts, Spotify and YouTube thereafter, though. Uh, that's it from me uh, for now. Uh, once again, thanks to my uh, to my guest tonight, Dr. Paul Cross. You can go and follow him on TikTok uh, for um, for explainers in the world of science. Um, I will just say this. Uh, if you have not voted tactically this week, I will hunt each of you down and club you to death. Um, that's it from me. Uh, keep it strictly hashtag Bimfluencers, hashtag Boris Fucks Livestock, and I will catch up with you on Friday. Thanks very much. Bye.